The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are talking about humility here. The, sermon, the, the title of the sermon is The Pilgrim's Humility. Uh, this whole chapter, as you might have picked up, and just the mere reading of it is about humility, right? It gets mentioned a couple times, and humility is one of those weird things that... Um, it's a bit hard to describe. Like, we all want to, I mean, I would hope that we all want to be humble, right? Uh, maybe if you don't want to be humble, uh, something to consider. But humility is one of those things where it's a bit hard to describe um, yourself as being humble, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I want to grow in humility, but, like, you can't really say, like, I'm, I'm a humble person. I'm the most humble person I know. <laughs> it's kind of like saying if you're, like, a Giants fan, or an Eagles fan that I'm a good person at the same time. Like, it, mm, nope, not true. <laughs> like, inherently disqualifying. You know, of course, you could say that you're a Patriots fan and a good person because it's clearly true. But, you know, uh, saying I'm a humble person is not exactly the most, indic- uh, does not indicate that it's actually true. Um, but humility is certainly something that we want because it's something that helps us have um, a certain degree of self-awareness, right? Like, if we're humble we have a certain sense of like, I know where I fit in the grand scheme of things. I know where my place is. Like, I have an honest assessment of myself, but I also have an honest assessment of the world around me. But it's hard to gain humility because not only does humility require self-awareness, humility requires a sense of security, right? To the extent that we get to know ourselves, well, I don't know about you, but whenever I get to the point of like, hmm, I want to grow in humility, that also means I have to be known, and people have to know who I am. That also means they have to know all my dirt and my junk, which means they may reject me. It means I may be sent out, rejected, kind of like pushed aside once people get to truly know who I am. So to grow in humility does require a sense of self-awareness, but there's also, we must have a sense of security and being able to find out who we are and where we fit in the grand scheme of things. That is where the book of Daniel finds us. In the book of Daniel, we have been looking at being, Daniel and his friends, being pilgrims, right? That word just simply means they belong to God's country, but they live someplace else, right? So God's country is a place where you would, you know, be humble because you see God for who he is, but you live in a foreign land, and it, by all intents, by all kind of outside, uh, I don't know, indicators, it would feel like God's forgotten me. I'm kind of at this on my own. I have no place of security. It's whatever I I can build here. I'm in a foreign place. And in Daniel and his friends, we see not only does God see them and know them, but he's walking with them through their suffering, right? That's Daniel 1, 2, 3. And here we find in chapter 4, Daniel and his, Daniel specifically, helping us discover that God is not only with them and for them, but his sovereignty is the place of their security. Right? God's sovereignty. He's the one who kind of, over, his hands are over this whole thing. He upholds their lives. He upholds everything about what's going on in their lives. And not only is he with them in their suffering, not only is he with them in their journey, but his sovereignty secures their path of being humbled in God's presence. So we're just going to say the point, and then we're going to jump into four points. Is that cool? Your journey towards humility is secure in God's sovereignty. Right? It's very simple. Your journey towards humility, right? That place where you know your place, where you fit in all of this stuff. How, who, 
who you are, how do you fit in God's hands, who you are in this world that God rules over, your, your journey towards humility is secure, not in your finances, not in your job, not in your family, not in, not in your Enneagram test, <laughs> not in your astrological sign, not any of this stuff. Your security is in God's sovereignty. God being king, God being the ruler of everything, that's where your security of humility lies. So what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of go through, we're going to kind of chop at this passage of different sections because it's a whole big story. And um, it, here's a big uh, dictionary word for you. Uh, recapitulation. Recapitulation is when um, we may know certain people that do this, where they sell, tell the same story 5,000 times. I can think of a certain Bill O'Grady who would do this all the time. <laughs> like, I think Bill, I think I, he had like 10 stories that I heard like, I don't know, 50 times. And he always told it to me like it was the first time I'd ever heard it. You know, that sort of thing. The Bible does that all the time. So Bill was like super biblical, right? In all of the ways in which you would kind of be like, okay, come on, get it. So recapitulation, the story happens once and then Daniel hears it and then he tells us again. And so we're just going to jump into his interpretation here, verse 19, just to kind of help us kind of move forward so in the story a little bit better. So verse 19, the first thing we're going to talk about in this journey of humility is we're going to talk about the need of humility, right? Before we get to saying, oh, we need to be humble. We need to say, we need to answer, why do we need to be humble? That, that's the first answer we got to, first question we got to answer. Verse 19 to 33, the need of humility. Okay, verse 19, here we are. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, can we call him like a Big B? Is that cool for short? Maggie, we got, can we call him Big B for short? I mean, that's what we call you. That's your rap name. So, um, <laughs> So uh, it was dismayed for a while, and then his thoughts alarmed him, right? The king answered and said, Big B, let not the, the dream of your interpretation alarm you. And Big B answered and said, My Lord, may the dreams of those who hate you and its interpretation of your enemies be for those who hate you and your in- its interpretation. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. You see, here is what we find Daniel, or Daniel having to unfortunately say, is that here's the deal. This vision that you've seen of this huge tree that grows and then is chopped down and there's only a stump left and is thrown in, all the, everything else is thrown into the fire and there's like nothing left. Here, I, I got a bad news for you. It's, it's not actually about your enemies. It's not about the opposition party. It's about you. Nebuchadnezzar, this story is about you and what God's going to do with you. See, not only is it just about Nebuchadnezzar as just an individual, there's a little bit more kind of going beyond, going on behind this story. Can we just flip back? I can, I can read it for you. Verses 11 to 12, right? The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven, right? Again, that, remember that word recapitulation? It's just saying the same thing over again, visible the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and its food was for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh were fed from it. I just want to read 
from Genesis 1, and you tell me, does this sound familiar? Not entirely, but a little bit. Genesis chapter 1. Then God said to man, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God made man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, what's going on with Nebuchadnezzar is not merely that he's a guy who's proud and needs to get struck down. There's a certain sense in which Nebuchadnezzar lives on the outside, this kingdom struggle that's on the inside. He is literally a king, right? He's literally a king of, like, if you could imagine, who, is it uh, de Blasio, who's the mayor of New York? Who's the, king, who's the mayor of New York? King of New York. Yeah, de Blasio. All right, so whoever's the, king, whoever's the mayor of New York is king over the whole world, like, it's kind of like that. His power over one city ruled over the whole area. He was the guy, but he exhibited on the outside of his title the internal kingdom dynamics that were going on on the inside. See, here in Daniel chapter 2, you have this not merely just kind of being Jacob making a strange connection. This is Daniel chapter 2 over here in verse 37. Right when it's talking about this other kind of weird vision that he has of the statue, remember the whole gigantic statue thing, blah, 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 right? You, O king, verse 37, the king of kings, to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and whose hands was given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold, right? So there is a sense in which this is not just kind of like, here's a cool Bible illustration here. There is a deep dynamic in which Nebuchadnezzar is exhibiting the same Adam struggle. He's a different Adam in a different garden with the same struggle where he is himself asserting his rule over God's stuff, right? He's saying, God, thanks but no thanks. Creation 2.0, I got this down, right? That's what the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all about. It's saying like, hey, God, I know you're the OG here. Like, I know you got this going, but listen... I know how to rule this a little bit better than you do. I can be the king of this place without you. Nebuchadnezzar is doing this on a diva scale, same way Adam did. Right? Did we track on here? So when, Adam, when, so when Nebuchadnezzar is being addressed, we are addressing the heart-level struggle of our kingdom versus God's kingdom. So Daniel chapter 4, verse 33, here's what happens right? Recapitulation, right? The story happens. It was, it, here's the vision. It's going to happen. Daniel comes and says, okay, here's a story. It's going to happen. And then the story happens. So it happens three times in this whole passage. I did, this is one of those things where just the, the, the irony leaps off the page, right? The king answered, so verse 29, at the end of 12 months after Daniel's kind of like, hey, bro, it's going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar's kind of like, whatever. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of whose majesty? My majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. 
and you shall be driven from among the men, from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his, his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. This is incredible. Because you see what's happening here. Nebuchadnezzar not only is living out in his rejection of God's kingdom on the outside, what's going on on the inside, but he's living out his need for humility on the outside of what's going on in the inside. You see, when Nebuchadnezzar is rejecting God's kingdom, God's rule over him, he is also not only de-godding God, right? He's saying, God, you're not good at being God. I'm going to de-god you in my heart, and I'm going to be God for myself. In the same motion of doing that, he's also dehumanizing himself. Right? You and I are not made to live in the place where God lives in our hearts, but when we do that, we try to like hoist ourselves up into a position that we can't possibly fulfill and try to do things for ourselves which we can't possibly do. It's like if you took my, I just want to mention a word that's going to freak some of you out, snowblower. The snow is coming. Right. If, <laughs> I just want to, if you took, except for Jay and Alex, they don't, they, actually they're going to sell off their snowblower. They don't need it down in Knoxville. There's no snow down in Knoxville. Um, if you took my snowblower and my snowblower somehow was able to talk back to me and said, Jacob, I don't like any of this snow and I don't like any of this gas. I want you to put grass in me, and I want to mow the grass. You look at it like, bruh, what are you doing? Like, this, is, this isn't what you're designed for. It's the same thing with Nebuchadnezzar. He is dethroning God in his heart. He's saying, God, enough with you. And then he's also saying, Nebuchadnezzar, a little more of you. And in that motion of de-godding God and dehumanizing himself, he is becoming less than human, which is what happens to him in this whole story, right? The pride of our lives makes and deforms us into being less human than we were designed to be, right? That's why he becomes, right, driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. He becomes like what he's supposed to rule over. He becomes less than human with uh, hair as long as eagle's feathers, which I have no experience with. I assume is long, right? Whoever doesn't cut their hair for seven years, however long that is, and then nails are like bird's claws, right? See, in that motion, God is giving him over. So if you remember from Romans 1, this kind of comes up again later in the Bible where Paul talks about being given over to their sins, right? People who have rejected God. And there's a whole list in there. We can kind of focus on uh, the gender sexual stuff in Genesis, or Romans 1. But that whole list at the end of Genesis 1 exhibits a whole list of things that feel very familiar, and they are very common to the ways in which we dehumanize ourselves and those around us, right? Romans 1, so they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind, right? This sounds a lot like the Nebuchadnezzar story. They, that they might do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, right? They, they had Amazon Prime accounts and constantly ordered from them. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, 
haters of God, insolent. Sounds like they had a Facebook account too, just whoever they are. Haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, licentious, uh, uh, insolent, uh, disobedient to parents. <laughs> Never happens to me. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. See, none of this is new in the Bible. Our need for humility, and none of those things are pointed out to say, like, you're so bad. It's to show us what's going on when we dethrone God in our hearts and say we want our lives on our own terms. We are dehumanizing ourselves. We are living in a way that is not who we are. We are lacking humility, which is why this whole story, we lack humility because we don't understand our place in the story of this. We need to be aware of our need for humility. That's the whole point of this kind of beginning of the story. We need to be aware of it. We cannot see ourselves clearly. We need God who writes the story of our humility, our, st- our journey of humility, uh, because we can't even begin to kind of say, you know what, I'm really good with this finance stuff. Like, I don't have pride in that area. But uh, when it comes to this other area, like, we just don't know the areas where we're proud, where we need humbling in. So, for example, uh, what was it, a couple weeks ago, I talked about um, when Daniel with the the false prophet guys or whatever, and he's like, doesn't keep account of their wrongs. Like, he's not, like angling and keeping a record of wrongs or how wrong they were. Uh, I just want you to know, like, I went home that day after preaching about that very thing and was keeping an account of all the wrongs that were going on in my own house, and I was, like, feeling called out by my own sermon for, like, keeping, like, calculating my love for my family, right? Just so you know, I was doing the very thing where you're like, Jacob, do you ever sin? Occasionally. <laughs> Comes up. Uh, in fact, it comes up so pointedly that God made me a pastor and a preacher so that uh, I would preach on the very things that I need God's help with on that very day. So God is the one who writes our story of how we get addressed. We need him writing the story because I just can't do a good job of figuring out where I need help. Now, we're going to follow along because it's not merely that God writes a story. That's his sovereignty of how we need humility. But then we meet, let's just dig a little bit more into the vision or the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has because we're going to meet the mercy of humility, right? We're going to meet this mercy of humility. I want to read for this. Do I have a slide of these verses, verse 5, 15? Don't worry. If you want, if you want the notes, they go out in an email. No big deal. This is Nebuchadnezzar, right? Big Nebi. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. The fancies and the visions of my head alarm me. Verse 15, but leave the stump and its roots, right? This is the vision. Bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Go on to the next one. I promise we're going to weave all these together. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed, or Big B, dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you, Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Hold on, go back. Oh, wait, wait, I had, yeah, stay here. These guys know what they're doing. I don't. Therefore, O king, let your counsels be acceptable before you break off your sins and practicing righteousness and your iniquities be showing mercy to the oppressed. That, you may, that there may be perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the story continues. 
what I want to, what the reason I pulled out these verses for us to look at, the reason I, I highlight these ones is to say there is a story, a thread of mercy through this that you would not see at first glance, but is clearly there. God didn't have to give Nebuchadnezzar a dream. He could have just said, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm through with you, down. God chose to give Nebuchadnezzar a dream. God chose to give an interpretation to Daniel. Right? Daniel didn't have to compassionately advise Nebuchadnezzar of what to do. Right? Daniel could have just said, bro, you are going down, and that's for all those slave names you've been giving me and my friends. Could have been revengeful. Right? Ne- Daniel says, no, Nebuchadnezzar, look, even though you have still enslaved me and my friend's name, we talked about this in chapter 1, remember, Belteshazzar is a name of degrading enslavement to pagan gods, just to make sure we're all tracking with this. And Daniel still does not choose to say, ha! He says, nope, all right, king, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but here's how this is going to unfold. Right, there is a compassion, but not merely that, but God didn't have to give King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months time period either, right? He could have given the vision and given his next day, all right, we're cashing in on this vision. But he gives him 12 months. Isn't that crazy? I mean, God's compassion towards Nebuchadnezzar is incredible in that he gives him this whole vision, says, bro, you have dethroned me from your heart, and he still gives him 12 months to kind of figure it out. He doesn't do that. But verse 15, let's go back to the middle of this vision. Verse 15, I'll read it for us just so that you remember because it's a weird thing, right? We're going to cut down the tree, which is Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to humble Nebuchadnezzar, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. You see, the stump represents that there is still hope for Nebuchadnezzar. In the midst of his being humbled, he is not completely uprooted, right? The stump's left. He can, there's still a story of redemption to say about what Nebuchadnezzar can be and do and experience and who God is. There's still a story of his future hope with what God can do with him. So let's leave the stump. Let's not cut everything up and rip up the roots and make the, the field super flat, right? I mean, anybody who's ever had a field and you've got that stump in the middle of that sucker, you're kind of like, man, I'm so ready to pull out that stump because I could do a lot more with this field without those roots there. But God leaves this stump to say, there is always hope in the midst of whatever humbling experience you walk through, whatever experience of God's humiliation and his story to help you get clarity of who you are. There's always hope in the middle of that story, right? In the wasteland of exposing sin in our lives. And whatever it takes for us to see who we really are, there's still a stump of mercy. There is still a stump of hope. There is still a place, a a root of God's mercy. And did you notice, I just find it amidst the tender grass of the field, almost as to say, amidst the tender story of God's providence, of his sovereignty, of God directing your life, there's a tenderness about his mercy for you. And then in verse 19, just how do we, how do we live this out? Right? Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. 
Sometimes we have to be on the, on the friend side of this. We have to walk alongside people as they experience being humbled and seeing themselves for who they are. And Daniel is not triumphalistic. Remember, Daniel, like I was saying before, he's still being addressed as his slave name by Nebuchadnezzar, right? There's a number of ways in which it's kind of like provoking him before God, before Nebuchadnezzar. And yet he still responds with compassion towards his boss, so to speak. He still responds with, it almost just seems as though Daniel had meditated on Exodus 34, 6 through 7, the Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy and gracious. Right? That is God's name, a God of mercy and a God who is gracious. It's almost as though he had meditated on God's name more than the ways in which he had been slighted and victimized. Right? It's almost as though he had meditated on God's merciful name, God's compassionate name, who God is, been humbled by who God is more than he had talked to, thought about all the slights that he'd experienced in his story. You see, Daniel has compassion on Nebuchadnezzar. And then he says, right, what it, at the end of the story, verse 20, at the end of his commendation to Nebuchadnezzar, verse 27, therefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted of you. So he says, here's the dream, here's the interpretation. I'm really sorry about this, but let me interpret and just kind of give you a little bit of some counsel and advice. He says, break off your sins from practicing, by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. See, the heart of God is one of mercy. And Daniel is pointing to what our kingdom ethics of what our engagement with our culture around us should be like. Calling each other, calling our neighbors, calling our politics to reflect the merciful righteousness of God. See, verse 27 shows to me that maybe Daniel had been meditating on Jeremiah. Can we put this up here? Jeremiah um, 23 through 24. Is that, is that in there? No? Oh. My fault, guys. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight. And then Jeremiah 22, 16, Who will be judged... Um, he judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it is well. Is it not, is not this who knows me, those who care for the poor and the needy among them? See, God's heart is for those who are poor, who are marginalized, who are on the outskirts of society, who don't make much of their own provision and their own strength. God's heart reflects those who love justice for those who experience no justice, mercy for those who have been abused. His heart is for the weak and the helpless, those who have no reason for pride, frankly. And his call for Nebuchadnezzar is to reflect the mercy of humility. Look, if you have experienced this, do it. And Daniel's response is to pray, to counsel, and release mercifully. We're gonna, I'm just going to comment on this, and we'll move on because... We're moving along through this sermon, and we're trying to track through towards the end and not go like an hour long. But Daniel, he prays for Nebuchadnezzar. You see that he pauses. He's like, God, I'm, I'm 
praying for him. He counsels him. He says, okay, look, here's what the vision means, but here, here's a way to respond to God in a way that, that honors him. But he also releases. Do you notice that Daniel, amidst all the ways he's invested in Nebuchadnezzar, does not take ownership for Nebuchadnezzar's sin and the, the, the story of how he has to get humbled? The result of Nebuchadnezzar's humbling and all that comes out of that, Daniel does not take responsibility for that, right? Do you, when you've walked through friends and you're just kind of like, bro, you are being a bonehead about this whole thing, like, here's what you need to do. You need to kick, stop it, right? Stop it. <laughs> you, you do walk with Jesus in this stuff, and I'm here to help you. That whole story, we can then take it and then say, but if you don't do it, I'm going to be in anguish, I'm going to be angry, and I'm going to be all these hurt feelings, and I'm going to take ownership of this whole situation. Daniel doesn't do that. He releases. He says, okay, you got to own this if you're going to do this, right? A lot of, like, a weirdness in relationships, like, you think about, like, codependency and just kind of, like, weird relational dynamics where you're kind of like, well, if I, if I, if I can just, I know, if I make this person a pie and I make them happy, then they'll like me again, and then we'll be able to have that conversation about how they need to change. That's weirdness, right? <laughs> that whole weirdness thing, right? Daniel doesn't do that. He says, look, you got to do this, but you got to be responsible for, for walking your faith out and walking repentance out before God. I'm not going to take responsibility for how you got to change. I'm not going to take responsibility. It's actually saying, you know what? Your change to respond to God's humbling power in your life, it's above my pay grade, and I don't get paid to own that stuff, right? Even as your pastor, like, you know, there's like boneheaded stuff that everybody does. I do. Like, my job as a pastor, like, I don't own how you... <laughs> do things. Like, it's not my job, right? I'm, I'm here to, like, pastor you. I'm not paid to be a high priest for you, so like, we just keep that in the, in, the, in the game here. But we do that for each other, right? Do you take responsibility for each other's lives? Do you take a responsibility that is above your pay grade for helping each other grow, right? We want to help each other grow. But you can't take responsibility for how I screw up my life. I can't take responsibility for how you screw up your life. But we have to walk beside each other, merciful and compassionate, to direct each other, just like Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar, towards the God who's writing this whole story. You seeing how the sovereignty of God is kind of weaving this whole thing together? He's in the background, and he's in the foreground, like he's writing this whole thing so that Daniel and his friend, Daniel and his relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, both of them are an example of how we journey towards humility, secure in God's sovereignty. So we're going to kind of begin towards finishing up the story. We got two more points. Cool? Verses 1 to 3 and 34 to 37. We're going to look at the beginning and end of this whole story. We're going to see the reason of humility. It's going to kind of come together fairly obviously for us, I think. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, right, screws his life up, says, God, don't need you, don't need to respond to you. I'm cool on my own. What happens? Dun, 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 dun. Nebuchadnezzar gets turned into an eagle with long nails and out in, the water, out in the wilderness, right? For seven years, that's what it means. Keeps his, re his reason restored to him. Do you see that? At the end, 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. Notice that word, reason returned to me. I was restored again to my humanity. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are account are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none of them and, and none can say stay his hand or say to him, 
what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. Right? Notice again that word reason. For the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, extol, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works and right are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. See, when Nebuchadnezzar comes to his senses in his right relationship with God, he's humbled and his reason is restored to him. And what does he do? He worships who God is. He said, God, you're, you, you are so great, God. You're so great and so wonderful that you actually, you, God, are worthy of my humility. You are worthy of me being humbled in this way. Even this extreme story of how he gets humbled, you're worthy of it. You are honored in the way in which you have humbled me. You see, the result of Nebuchadnezzar's humbling is a global gospel proclamation, gospel appeal of who God is, right? This is at the beginning of chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar to all the peoples, nations, and languages, right? Nebuchadnezzar is saying, now that I know who God is, right? He writes this whole story of his own humility, right? There is an imperfect reality in our humble and being humble before God. Do you notice, even through this whole story, he's still kind of got like this like pagan kind of thing going on where he's like, look, I, I told Nebuchadnezzar in who the spirit of all the gods resides, like, and he calls him by Belshazzar, right, his enslaved name. He's still imperfect, right? It's not like a perfect result. He's like, I've been humbled. Now I am totally free of all those things, and now I'm perfect. That's not what happens. But still, he's Nebuchadnezzar. He's, we're all going to see him in heaven. Like, hey, Nebi, what's up? But, <laughs> like, it, there's a reality, too, in which, bro, this guy wrote a part of the Bible, like at least a chapter. <laughs> like, I might be a pastor, but I haven't written a part of the Bible, right? <laughs> so, like, I get paid to be a Christian, and I still haven't written a chapter in the Bible. This guy was turned into, like, a griffin out in the field, right? <laughs> like, he's got, like, weird claws and, like, w wings and all this stuff, and he wrote a part of the Bible. Like, it, it, humility is still taking root in his life, right? Those who have met the humbling God come away praising him for who he is, don't come away feeling like they've been smarted or gotten spanked by God, right? The point of this is to say he experiences God's loving hand in his correction, God's loving humbling in his life, but he comes out of it on the other side of it. Who cares about all the stuff he gets? He's gotten a clear picture of his relationship with who God is, right? Say First Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, right? It's almost like Peter might have been thinking about this, this story of Nebuchadnezzar, where God's hand humbles Nebuchadnezzar, and he, he pushes him down so that he sees who he is. And it's an extreme story. I'm not saying that any of you are going to walk out of here in this next week, you're going to like lose your minds, we're going to have to institute, put you in an institution and get you on some meds so that you get your senses, and so that you like stop yelling so much at home or whatever. Like That's not <laughs> like the story of humility that I'm hoping for any of us. But the humbling power of God to help us get a clear picture of who he is results in saying, God, you're worthy of this because I see you more clearly. I see myself more clearly. There are ways in which God is going to continually, all of your lives, help you to go downward in your understanding of yourself, help you see, help you to, to go down and seeing, I really don't, like, I keep trying to, like, 
hoist myself up, like my kids up into their kid chair. Like I, I keep trying to like hoist myself up into this kingdom throne in my heart of who God is. And God's going to have to continue to just kind of say, no, son or daughter. Like, here, let me rule and bring peace to your life. But that pushing us out of the, king, the throne in our hearts to the side of the dinner table, so to speak, that's the pain point that we always hate about humility. Like we, okay, but you'll notice God's hand in this is not to flick Nebuchadnezzar. It's not to smack him. It's, a, it's extreme, but in our lives, it's a humble, it's a gentle pushing us so that we see who we are, see who God is, and we enjoy the loving goodness of our God. That's why worship, Sunday worship, is one of the best things you can do for your own soul in helping you have a right orientation towards God, having a right understanding of yourself. Did you notice? I love the joy led us in singing the doxology to start out worship this morning. Praise God for who he is. We don't start out singing, I am a sinner, Jesus, I'm a big old jerk. I could use other words. I'm trying to use polite terms. <laughs> we don't start out singing like how much of a horrible person we are. I mean, that's true-ish. But we want to be more focused on saying, Jesus, you have been so good to me. Jesus, I don't deserve anything of who you are. I can't believe this. I know this reality of who the God of the universe is. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Son took on flesh to love me, know me, and die for me. That's what we're going to turn to next and seeing this in the story because it's there if you look at it. But he comes in his mercy to help restore our reason, which responds in praise. Okay, you guys cool? We're going to end out the story. Verse, chapter, uh, fourth point here, the king of humility. There, there's kind of been another thread through this that I want to weave out, pull out together. The king of humility. Don't, don't worry, all those verses are going to be up on the screen. But Daniel 4, 2, 17, 24, 25, 32, 34, 37. It's almost like a lost number. Like on lost, remember how they have to enter that number to prevent the end of the world? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's almost like that. It, it's, it's an old show for those of you who are not old like me. <laughs> but Daniel 4, it seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High has done for me. Verse 17 that the living may know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. Verse 24, it is a decree of the Most High. Verse 24, 25, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Verse 32, you're going to feel the same. Until you know that the, Lord, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble, right? This is a major th threat. God's name, Most High, and then the last kind of turn of it to King the uh, king of heaven, right? It's basically kind of the same idea. Seven times mentioned in this chapter. Seven times. That's a, I mean, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it, but that's seven. That's a big number in the Bible. Seven times God's sovereignty and position is mentioned. Simply to underline that through this whole chapter of Nebuchadnezzar's humility 
through the chapters of your lives where you are learning humility is written the name of God who is in charge, who is sovereign, who is calling the shots. He is the one that's in charge. He is the king, right? The king of heaven, verse 37. He's the king of heaven. But there is, with this other king in the story, right, with Nebuchadnezzar, who's the the self-appointed king, but God, who's a true king, there is a king's story, and there's another tree for that king. Verse, verse 11 to 12, I just want to remind us of these. I don't know if you felt this echo when you were reading this. Verse 11 to 12. <laughs> Those, do what? <laughs> yeah, I know. Those windows, bro. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven and was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heaven lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. There's, there's another tree that comes into play. Jesus in Matthew, which is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew 13, he told this parable, I put, I put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed. The man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it was grown, it was larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree. So the birds of the air came and make nests in its branches. Jesus picks up on this image of this tree that covers the whole earth and provides shade and comfort and accommodation and strength and provision for all creatures, all beings, all peoples in this one tree. He picks up on that and says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. But you see, rather than it being just simply a tree that Jesus talks about, and a tree that's all about who Nebuchadnezzar is and how great he is, Jesus, between that tree of Nebuchadnezzar and that kingdom tree of heaven, of the kingdom of God, there sits another tree, much more bare, that Jesus will walk up. See, Jesus, there is another tree where Jesus goes and gives himself to be the provision, to be the help, to be the lifeblood, to be the glory of all mankind, to be the glory of God himself on display. And it's not a glory that says, look how great I am. It is a glory that says, look how low he goes. So Philippians, we've used this for our confession of faith. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, see the story of a great king, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, a tree. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is... Nebuchadnezzar's story of humility is just a story that gets echoed over and over and over again in the Bible of a guy who wants all the glory, who gets humbled so that he doesn't, he has a true sense of who he is, so that then there is more glory on the other side. But it's always kind of messed up because those guys are always going to have that root of sin in them that's going to continue that story. Jesus walks in and says, I am the true king. I am owed everything. But I know who you are, and I know who I am, and I'm going to give myself willingly. I'm going to go to that barren tree on a dead hill and bear the wrath of God 
bear the sin of man, bear all the junk that keeps us from seeing ourselves for who we are, and there I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise by my own power out of death, so that when I rise into glory, I bring all y'all with me. Jesus tells a story of a different tree that's by, by its death, by its cutting down, by that stump of who Jesus was, we get the full fruits and joy and glory of God's kingdom. We get to enjoy all of who God is for us. He goes to a cursed tree, a different tree of knowledge of good and evil, so that in his humiliation and his experience of the frown of God, we experience the smile of God so that whatever our humble path is, whatever our path towards humility is, whatever that looks like for you, Jesus is, is ahead of you. He's already walked that path. He has already walked the journey of your humility. He knows everything about you. If Jesus dies for all your sins, that means that he knows the full weight of everything that's all messed up about you, more than you could possibly know yourself. And yet he says, I want you. I want you to be in my garden. I want you to be a tree in my house. I want you to experiencing the flourishing, the goodness, the provision of all that I am. And I want you to grow. I want you to experience that. I want you to be fed on my love. He says that so that, yeah, you're going to grow in humility. But that's simply by just, I know who I am in his story and that he loves me. You see, you are seen and known and loved in the merciful hands of this king. To grow more humble, and to grow more humble to be like him in his kingdom as he rules you and he loves you in his sovereign care for you. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.